I'm loosening up. <laughs> yeah, I drink that Geritol. <laughs> So good evening, everyone. Welcome to the third installment of the series, First and Second Thessalonians. In lesson three, we will be looking at ministers and more specifically, true ministers. So there's that term before you, ministers versus true ministers. What's the difference between the two? Ministers versus true ministers. What do you think is the difference between the two? Any thoughts? None? Okay. <laughs> ministers versus true ministers. For instance, one uses the word and the other one doesn't. <laughs> that's, that's about the extent of it. That's the difference. True ministers uses the word of God. True ministers, that's where their hope, that's where their trust, that's where their belief is, is in the word of God. It is not something they just throw out there to make people feel good. It's not something they throw out there to make themselves look good. But it's all about God. It's all about the word of God. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. True ministers, because Paul was concerned for the church there in Thessalonica that he had established. And he wanted to make sure that they understood the difference between the two. Because there were, as you're going to see in this lesson, there were people who were traveling around that were saying things and doing things that was contrary to the word of God. So would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night that we have this lesson, Father. We're so very thankful that we have the resources, Father, to take care of the problems that we have in the building at this time. And, Father, we're thankful for those who have, who have stepped up to make this possible, Father. We're thankful for the contractors that have been working here, Father. And we pray, Father, that this will be resolved real soon, Father, so that we can resume our normal activities here at the building. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So when we think back, when we think back to chapter 1 uh, a few weeks ago, what we find was Paul was writing to a very young church that he had established there in Thessalonica. Now, in that opening letter that he wrote to them, what we find Paul doing is this. He is rejoicing. He is rejoicing over the fact that he considers them to be true converts. And he considers them to be true converts in it from, from that lesson that we saw, the letter that we saw, that for two reasons. Number one, he thought they were true converts because he was a true apostle. And because he was a true apostle, he was preaching the true gospel to them. And he was doing it in love. He was doing it in sincerity. And what he saw in all of this was this. They were converted the right way by the right people who knew the gospel. 
he also rejoices in his prayer because of their response to the gospel. He said that their response was sincere. And he broke it down even further in when he said their response, their belief was sincere. The change that took place in their lives was real. It was sincere. And their perseverance became an inspiration, not just to him, but to a lot of other people as well. So when we venture off into the next two chapters, chapters two and three, what we we'll find Paul doing is uh, reviewing his time with them, but at the same time, he's going about the business of defending his ministry among them. Now, what we're not going to find is this. There, was no, there is no mention of it directly, but the nature of Paul's response seems to have come under, his, his work had come under attack. What it was, was he was being charged with the accusation of acting like a charlatan. Charlatan. At the time, at the time, there were wandering preachers. There were wandering philosophers going around, especially in Thessalonica, and they went from place to place, and they were teaching, and they were spreading various ideas. They were spreading various philosophies in exchange for money, in exchange for prestige. And some of those individuals were saying that Paul was no more than one of those charlatans. He was no different from them. And so in this section, what Paul does is this. He lays down the credentials. He lays down the credentials that all should look for in one who is a true minister of the word. And when I say all should look for and who we're talking about, it doesn't matter if the individual is considering or serving as an elder, as a deacon, as an evangelist, as a teacher, whatever. What he's saying is this is what you need to look for because you need to be looking for true ministers. So then, uh, when we look at chapter 2 and 3, what we find then are the credentials, the credentials for true ministers. And the first, when we read verses 1 and 2, and let's go ahead and read that, uh, second, First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So what Paul is saying here, when you look at, at verses 1 and 2, what Paul is saying is that true ministers, true ministers trust in God. True elders trust in God. Deacons trust in God. Teachers trust in God. Preachers, evangelists, they trust in God. Look at all the stuff that Paul had gone through. He, Paul was rescued from prison in Philippi. His coming to Macedonia, uh, it was led by God. His trials and opposition by the Jews. All of these events were sustained and accomplished because of what one reason? And that is Paul trusted in God. And we think back and do an examination of Paul's experience. We can see that the only way he could have survived the only way he could have survived was through his trust in God. He trusted God to rescue him from jail when the situation was hopeless. He trusted God for the opportunity to make contacts and preach because he was helpless 
to, to make these things happen on his own. He trusted God. He trusted God to give him direction for his ministry at a time when he was directionless. He trusted God to save him from his attackers when he was defenseless. Leaders. Just like there's a difference between ministers and true ministers, there's a difference between leaders in the church and true leaders. True leaders in ministry are not such because they are good speakers, because they are good debaters, because they are good organizers. They are just qualified to lead in ministry if they demonstrate all of these is helpful and an abiding trust in God. Paul demonstrated his trust when he continued to preach. He continued to preach and teach despite the discouragement that he was going through, despite the opposition he faced in and out of the church. And that's, that's important to remember there, in and out of the church. You know, it would be one thing if, a, if an elder, for instance, or a preacher was just being attacked from outside the church but it's another thing when they're being attacked from not just the outside of the church, but in, within the church as well. And so Paul was dealing with all of this. True leaders then demonstrate this quality in the same way in today's church. So not only do true ministers trust in God, we find that when we look in verses uh, 3 through 12, that we find that true ministers are also sincere. Now, when you think of sincerity here, there are two things that are being compared. When you, you might say two sets of characteristics that are being compared. One is that called worldly characteristics, and the other is spiritual characteristics. Now, when we look at the worldly characteristics that Paul is identifying, he would take us attention to verses 3 through 6. The Bible reads... For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. You know, the word error is an interesting word. When you look at a baseball game or a basketball game or some sports like that, players make errors, and what it is is an honest mistake. That that shortstop did not mean to throw that ball over the first baseman's head. It was an error. It was an honest mistake. On the other hand, if the score is tied 1-1 and I got a bet on the game and I need that person on third base to get in the home and I throw it over the, over the, first, over the, over the plate like that over the person's head, that's not an honest mistake and it's not an error. That is something I did on purpose. So a lot of times when we talk about error, we, we look, we, what we call it an error is actually a mistake. And, but there are times when an error is flat out just that. So an honest mistake or an honest misunderstanding, that's going to happen. But when you do something out of evil intent, 
evil intent of the mind and the heart, that is the error that we're talking about here. That is what Paul was trying to teach the church there at Thessalonica to be able to distinguish the difference between. Look at the words that he used in this text. Impurity. He was talking about sexual impurity. Deceit. He was talking about planned lies, planned dishonesty, popularity, trying to gain approval by telling people what they want to hear. He talked about flattery done in order to blind them, to blind those individuals or or to not build them up. False pretenses, any type of covering to hide greed, personal glory. Try to praise you, raise yourself above others. He was telling them, you need to be mindful of individuals that are doing these kind of things. Paul suggested to the church there at Thessalonica, and he's suggesting to the church here in 2023 and on the church here at the Bar Road, Paul is suggesting that these are reasons that some individuals go into service. But he also is letting them know this. For these same reasons, they go into service to hide these things, to, to cover it in their ministry, if you will. Now, that's worldly characteristics. We turn our attention next to spiritual characteristics, verses uh, 7 through 12. Let's look at the words that he's using here when Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica and saying to us, this is what you need to be looking for in your ministers, whether it's deacons, whether it's elders, whether it's preachers, it's teachers. And, you know, really, we should be looking at that in ourselves, period, whether or not we are serving in those capacities. Why? Because one day that young man sitting, where did he go? That young man sitting right there might be serving as an elder. But he doesn't start living these qualities when he becomes an older man. He starts living these qualities now and continue to build upon them as he grow older. So what is Paul saying here? Verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionate, desire, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become so very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Look at those words that he used. Gentle. And then when he used the word gentle, he gave an example of a nursing mother. And there's not a lady here that can't relate to that. And if a dad was paying attention, he can relate to it too. Self-sacrificing. They gave of themselves, not just doctrine. They risked their lives to teach them. They gave their hearts as well as the message. Hard working, they worked day and night among them and took no money, which was their right. If you go refer to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, they worked for free because why? The Thessalonians were young, they were poor. 
he said, he used the word pure and that their conduct was above reproach, no hint of evil. He used the word fervent. They wanted the Thessalonians to please God, but not only that, they wanted them to have eternal life with all their hearts and strength. This was their motive in ministry, the good of the church. Any man that would dare serve as an elder in any congregation, his motive should be the good of that congregation, the good of that congregation. Paul reminds them about their experience with himself, with Silas and Timothy, and he challenged them, he challenges them, I should say, to judge them, to judge them not only on what they said, but also judge them on the things that they did. Now, some say that it's not Christian to judge. But Paul says that the church can and should examine itself. He says that the church can and should examine its leaders to see if what they say is from God or if what they say and if what they do is godly. Now, understand this. There is a big difference. Can't say this enough. There is a big difference between criticizing and complaining because things are not like you want them to be and making a sober judgment on the accuracy and conduct of our leaders and ourselves. There's a big difference in the two. True ministers of the gospel need to demonstrate good things in order to accomplish good things. If the inside is good, then it will show itself on the outside. Another thing about true ministers, true ministers get results. I'll take you to verse 13. True ministers get results. And we thank you, God, I rather, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. You know, one thing we're not told about the church of Thessalonica, and that is how big it was. But you know what? That is by no means always the best rule of measurement. We do know that despite the opposition, despite the difficult circumstances, despite the short period of teaching, there was a radical change among the Thessalonians. This change, this change occurred because God, number one, godly men took the time to preach God's message accurately and in a godly way. We know 
we know this right here. We know that growth doesn't always come right away. But if the other elements are in place, it will come. I remember being a very <laughs> young kid as, well, young Christian. I wasn't a young kid. I was still a pretty old. But I remember a gentleman who, um, I, because I had counted the collection before, I happened to know that he, he consistently wrote a check every week for $250. And they were leaving the congregation. I remember hearing someone say, we need a family like that family to, to replace this family. And me being young, dumb, and stupid, I said, well, why don't we, get, why don't we go out and find 25 that's only capable of donating a dollar a week? Now we got 25 souls in the, church, in, the, in the congregation versus one. See, this person that made that comment, they were looking at the money instead of the souls. And sometimes that's what we can get caught up in. We get caught up in the money rather than the souls. Quite frankly, it wouldn't bother me if this congregation was, every seat in here was filled and the best somebody can do is $10. Because, and we keep adding souls. We keep adding souls and teaching the gospel and helping them understand what faith is all about, helping them understand what godly giving is all about, helping them understand what godly living is all about. Because you see, you know, we can have one person here with enough income to support this congregation by themselves, but you're only going to have one person here. And that's useless. That's useless. Now, something else. True ministers don't blame the church for lack of growth. So if that's the case, what do true ministers do? True ministers ask God to change them first so that their impact can have a positive effect for growth. Christ Jesus, at Matthew chapter 10, at verse 24, said this right here. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. There's an age-old saying, attitude reflects leadership. The attitude of the congregation does reflect the leadership of the elders. What we need to be careful as, as the congregation, we not let our, lead, our attitudes so negatively negatively affect the elders that the growth of the congregation spiritually is hindered. We need to be very careful of that. Next, true ministers love the church. Doing the good, the bad, and the ugly. True ministers love the church. Turn our attention to verse 17. The Bible reads, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more to eagerly, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our... Oops. I lost a part of my word in here. 
I believe it says, for you are our joy, I believe it is, or our hope. Then at verse, uh, going into chapter 3, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves, I'm going to have to read this because I got carried away with my slide. Here we go. Starting at verse 3. That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined by this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and your labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us to the has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray more earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct all our ways to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all and for all as we do for you so that we may establish your hearts so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the covenant of our Lord Jesus with all his saints look at the words that he used there look at Paul's attitude toward these brethren he was eager to see them verse 17 they are his glory and his joy verse 20 in chapter 2 he needed to know their conditions verse 5 chapter 3 his emotional life was tied to theirs verse 8 he prayed for them night and day verse 10 he wanted only the best blessings for them verses 11 through 13 when we look at what is written here by the apostle Paul we find that Paul loved these brethren why? Because they are the precious fruit of his work in the Lord. It was his love of Christ that motivated him to go to them in the first place. But look how something changed here. Now it is his love for them that causes his joy and his continued efforts among them. I want to share something with you because this happens more than you think. There was this young man. He wanted to go into the mission field, 
So he went to someone that he knew that the family knew and who was a minister. And he asked him what he needed in order to succeed in this type of endeavor. And his questions were, did he need language training? He wanted to know if he needed a trade or a second income to fall back on. He wanted to know if he needed to know about different religions. He wanted to know if he needed a good support network. The minister told him that all of these things were necessary. They were necessary and they were important and basic. But he also said this right here. The most important thing that he needed was love for the people he was trying to convert If you are going to serve as an elder of any congregation, man, you must have a love of the people that you are trying to serve. If you're going to be a deacon, you need to have a love for the people that you're trying to serve. If you're going to be an evangelist or a minister, you need to have a love for the people that you're trying to serve. If you're going to be a teacher of a class, you need to have a love for the people that you're trying to serve. And if you're going to be a, a, a saint at that congregation, an identifier of that congregation, or work under the oversight of the elders there, you need to have a love for the people that you're going to be working with. You see... It is the love for the church that will get you through the difficult moments when those individuals disappoint you, when those individuals speak against you, when those individuals even sin and abandon the assembly. So in closing, I say to you, and Paul gives us this, only the sincere Love the souls you are reaching out to. If that, if, let me reread, let me reword that. Only the sincere love of the souls that you are reaching out to will keep you in your ministry. Whether you're serving as an elder, a deacon, a preacher, teaching classes, or just coming to services and serving those others in the congregation. What people don't tend to understand sometimes is that those who are not serving as elders, deacons, preachers, and teachers, they are serving someone. Each and every one of you in here, in the years that I've served as an elder, the elder here, I see each and every one of you being of service to me. And that's something you should never forget. So that concludes our lesson for this evening. I got one more thing to say to you. Trainers and support will start you in ministry. But only an abiding love for souls will keep you ministering long after the excitement and the newness has worn off. I see an elder sitting there. I see the wife of elders and deacons sitting back there. You too. So, in a moment, we will have our devotional this evening, and thank you all for joining me today.